It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust. Here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 to most of you, and on the other end of Skype is my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. I'm feeling awfully snarky today, but <laughs> I don't know what's gotten into me, but I'm in a pretty good mood. Yeah, I have those days every once in a while, but at least with me, there's always a reason. Uh, I guess because I had a particularly bad day, I guess on Friday, I was really down. Uh, I think uh, I'm on the uptick of emotions. Well, what happened on Friday? It was just things were going wrong. You know, I tried to do something, I reached a dead end, and uh, I thought I had, um, It's. I guess it had to do a lot of because of my business. I had a friend who was supposed to help me out, and then they flaked out on me, and then another friend, and then they flaked out on me. Um, so just facing rejection over and over again, I think it wore down on me. Yeah, I've been there. That seems to happen every so often. I tend to get blown off by a lot of people. Why, I don't know. But Usually it's just I never get replies to emails or something, which always really irritates me. Luckily, yeah. that hasn't happened lately that I know of. Well, a couple weeks <laughs> ago. Anyway, we have a full show this week, like usual. Um, don't forget to check out globalgeeknews.com, which is where you'll find the show notes for everything that we're going to talk about tonight, as well as the tips of the week feature that we've started doing on Global Geek News. There's a I've been posting a ton of various tips uh, in the two posts that I've done so far, and I've already got a mountain of tips for the third post. I don't, I don't even know how I'm going to do this third post. It's going to be so long because I have so many tips. But all kinds of great tips. Make sure you check them out uh, just to give you a little bit of an example of some of the tips of the week. Um, how to build your own Jeopardy game with Visual Studio. Building the best gaming PC for any budget. Um, building a $200 Linux PC, stuff for reading, burning, copying data to and from CDs, DVDs, um, migrating Google accounts from one to a new one, from a bunch of them to a new one, um, some free WordPress themes, you name it, there's probably a tip for it. And if not, there probably will be within the next week, judging by the humongous list of tips I have for this week. And of course, all those, the tips of the week feature comes out every Friday. And of course, this show comes out every Tuesday for those that are new and unfamiliar with kind of how things work on Global Geek News. And I have one other thing that I'm going to announce tonight that I will make official on a blog post. Oh, it'll probably be either tomorrow or Wednesday, but... I'm going to try a little bit of an experiment as far as taking ads off the site, seeing as I've only made $0.19 cents off, the, off of AdSense in the past two months. I've decided to make the user experience on the site a little bit better and take the ads off. But in turn, I'm hoping you guys will support the show with donations, whether it's the $5 a month subscription or the one-time big lump sum donation or through the merchandise store which is of course all those links are at the top right. so you're asking for so everybody's two cents literally or more you know i've actually had somebody that did donate two cents a couple of years ago i'm not sure if i actually got any of it after what paypal took out of it but yeah i actually had somebody who donated two cents a couple of years ago 
Wow, nice. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that people will, would be willing would that they enjoy the show on the site enough that they would donate more than two cents. But hey, I guess if you want to donate two cents and it'll probably all go to PayPal, that's up to you. But anyway, I'm that's all I can think of as far as that goes. I'll make that. I'll give a little bit more details to that in the blog post I've got already got it written, written. I just have to figure out when I want to put that up. But anyway, we've got a full bunch of stories, so let's go ahead and get right into those, starting with Windows 7 has overtaken Windows Vista in market share. Yeah, this is relatively quick, but I think this is kind of the uh, pent-up anxiety and frustration of Vista less than... And, and as maybe in the combination of the success of Windows 7, I think those two together uh, allow them to cross that faster than most people expected. Yeah, just looking at the graph they have here on Ars Technica for the worldwide OS share trend, it looks like Windows 7 isn't taking away that big of a percentage from Vista. It looks like it's taking more of it away from XP. Because Vista seems to be losing people at a slower rate than XP does from the look, from the looks of this chart. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I wonder if that's mostly because uh, purchases. Uh, do you think that people are still purchasing Vista for some reason? I don't know if they're doing it intentionally. I think there may still be some machines out there that maybe still come with Vista or something like that. I I don't think they're going out there and mm, buying it by any means. I think that, that it's just a case of all these people that have Vista machines, the machines are probably less than two years old and they're not running out and replacing their machines anytime soon. And they probably don't necessarily understand what the benefits would be of upgrading to Windows 7. Because for most people, when they think operating system upgrade it they always think it's a big nightmare having to back up data or otherwise you will lose your data having to install all of your applications again get all your customizations where they should be and everything so for most people it's just more of a hassle than they want to deal with compared to people like me who like to do a fresh install every six months just for the heck of it but I, I think that's the real issue is just that all of these Vista machines are probably so new that they aren't in a position yet to be upgrading in any large amount, so they're just sticking with Vista for the time being. Whereas all the XP yeah. machines, it's time to kind of kick those out the door. Yeah, it's amazing how many Windows XP machines are still out there. And kicking. Um, it's glad to see that that declines a lot faster uh, than the acceleration of Windows 7. Uh, but it's uh, it's amazing to see how many uh, Windows XP machines are still out there. I'm guessing because of the netbooks are still being sold with Windows XP. Yeah, I think I'm finally starting to see some that ha have Windows 7 built on them. I think a lot of it's netbook sales, but a lot of it is going to be in the enterprise where a lot of companies have software that depend on XP or they have peripherals like printers and stuff that are really old that depend on specific drivers for XP and stuff that don't necessarily work under Windows 7. I think that's a good bit of it. Mm -hmm. As well as education, a lot of school districts don't have the money for new machines or new hardware or a new operating system or whatever, so they're still going on Windows XP or 2000 or whatever it is that they happen to be on, which I think 2000 is no longer supported, so hopefully it wouldn't be 2000. Right. I really hope so, too, especially with uh, no patches being released, like the that patch with the uh, Windows icons and that exploit vector through that um, just by viewing icons. Um, that's something that could be exposed on, on these older operating systems that aren't supported. Yeah, I I didn't realize until I was listening to Security Now last week just how bad that security bug is. Apparently, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be like the icons on your desktop. It can no. be the little fav icons in your browser that can trigger the vulnerability. Yeah, or a WebDAV, anything um, that can display an icon. So that is extremely bad. And I applied the patch as soon as it came out. And um, now I'm having a lot of issues with icons displaying on my laptop. So uh, I hope fundamentally they'll have another fix that'll fix the workaround they did to prevent that exploit. Yeah, I don't know. I know they announced a new, um, there was a new zero-day exploit today. Of course, tomorrow is Patch Tuesday, so I'm sure they won't have it out in time for that because supposedly they're still investigating it. But I have noticed a little bit of strange activity on my computer ever since I updated that to that patch as well. I'm not having the problem tonight, but over the weekend, my computer apparently wouldn't power any USB devices other than my keyboard and mouse. So I couldn't get power to sync my iPod or my Zune. Somehow I was able to get power to power up my cell phone, but that was about the only thing I could get power to. But I don't know if that is necessarily the cause of it, but that's the only thing that I can think of that changed in my system recently to cause something like that. So I don't know. I think maybe the patch has some issues, but at the same time, with as bad as the vulnerability is, I think it might just be worth patching and hoping you don't have real major issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing that this patch has been around for so long with so many operating systems. It almost seems like it was a backdoor. Yeah, I think they said the vulnerability goes all the way back to NT. Yes, it does. So, and... I don't know. I don't think they necessarily looked at operating systems older than that. So who knows just how old it really is? <laughs> but yeah, it, it's uh, something really scary. Definitely worth up updating. And of course, Windows updates comes out tomorrow anyway. With um, I didn't really look into it too much. I saw the headline that it's supposed to be the biggest Patch Tuesday ever in terms yeah. of the number of patches and vulnerabilities and stuff that comes out tomorrow. Yeah, beats, beats the last record by one patch. Yeah, so make sure to update Windows when you turn it on tomorrow, assuming you are you don't leave it running all the time. Yes, but it looks like uh, in our next story that um, most college campuses will have less problems with Windows updates because they won't be running, running Windows. Yeah, see, I'm not sure if I necessarily believe this story, saying that Microsoft is losing big to Apple on campuses. Apparently, Microsoft's share on campuses is down to just 56%, which is down 6% from, what was it, six months ago? or ah, I don't remember now. But, uh, and, the previous year, uh, yeah. 2004, 2004, sorry. Um, but this is the specific numbers they're quoting is from University of Virginia, which I'm a little bit amazed. I s expected maybe with the higher cost of laptops, especially Mac laptops, uh, that it would be uh, closer to it would be. I would expect this from a private university instead of a public university, especially with uh, uh, tuition costs uh, rising so rapidly. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. I know that there is a decent movement for Max in education. I'm even seeing it even in um, like grade schools, which why you'd give a grade school kid a MacBook Pro, well, I, I'll never understand that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to go from 89% to 56% over a course of six years is definitely a big loss for Microsoft and they're kind of blaming this on oh Microsoft just isn't cool with students and stuff but I, I don't know it they seem to be at least from what I can tell doing a lot better advertising towards universities and students I think they there's still some room for improvement but I think they're I think maybe they've kind of seen the writing on the wall and they're starting to do more about it now but I there is 
also mentioned in this report a study that said 70% of college freshmen are choosing a Mac. Mm -hmm. And when I clicked through, I couldn't find any real details at all on that study. It didn't mention anything about what schools it was taken from, anything. So I don't give that study any credibility at all because if we're talking a number that high, we've got to be talking about a school that's primarily focused with like art or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's that high. Um, especially when you're talking about overall, like the Mac is what, 12% of, uh, of all the PC shipments or something like that. 5%. 5%. Um, so, and, and you never see any, when you see back to school commercials on television, you never see the, uh, the Macintosh or the MacBooks or or any Apple products actually being displayed, um, but when you get materials for incoming freshmen from the colleges, that's where a lot of the materials coming from of advertising uh, Macintoshes. Um, so, uh, sorry, Apple computers, not Macintoshes. Sorry, um, and I think that is the compelling reason. Well. If the university is suggesting it, I'll just go ahead and buy it since they already have an agreement. And I think that's uh, where most of the proselytizing is coming from. Yeah, when I was going to school out in Utah, we all had ThinkPads. They were all T60P ThinkPads. They were decent machines for a little while, and then the screens kind of went wonky on them. And to start with, they had some wireless issues where... They were all pretty much needed new wireless cards and everything. But the school had a special deal with IBM. This is back before Lenovo took over all the ThinkPad stuff. And whenever something was wrong, IBM would support it. They'd just ship back the bad laptop, bad part or whatever, and they'd swap it out, whatever. And to me, it always seemed like the ThinkPads and stuff would were far better for something like school because... They tend to hold up a whole lot better than other, even more expensive laptops. Yeah, yeah, those were always the the workhorses of the laptops um, back in the day. Um, yeah, but not so much now. Now the cool now it's less about workhorse and now about style and pizzazz, and that's where Apple shines. Yeah, I, I've been looking at getting me a new laptop. I've been going back and forth primarily between the Alienware M11X and the MacBook Pro 13-inch, and I did spend quite a bit of time last week looking at ThinkPads just because I really enjoyed my ThinkPad experience back in college. I think it was probably one of the best laptops I've ever had until it started to develop screen issues. But, I don't know, I've always just been a big fan of the... Oh, what do they call that little red mouse thing in the middle of the keyboard. Nipple? Yeah, that's it. I've, I've always been a big fan of that as a mouse over the regular touchpad. I've never been a touchpad person. Yeah. Most Dell business laptops, the, the, the Latitude line used to have those too. Um, now they, they don't. Uh, they, it's called a nipple or an eraser or um, not a trackpad, but uh, yeah. I think I've heard them called like a nub, I think. Yeah little nicknames for it. Um, but yeah, I used to love that too. Um, with the, the extra, uh, buttons underneath the, right underneath the space bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always used to love that thing. I always thought it was so much better than the trackpad. That, and from what I was looking at some ThinkPads last week, battery life wise, some of them are fantastic until you get to ones like the dual screen ThinkPad that's like, Three grand or whatever, mm-hmm. but there was like the I think it's like the X two hundred one series that's supposed to have like stellar ten hour battery life and everything, and I wouldn't mind having that. But my problem is I want something that I can play a few games on too, and integrated graphics just don't cut it. Yeah, and uh, power wise, uh, not to toot my own horn or my company's anyway, ATI seems to be the leader. Uh, in that department. Yeah, that's... I've One of the things that I've been looking at the M11X for is it has the NVIDIA Optimus 
thing as to where the graphics card just kicks in whenever it needs to. But from the more I look at it, that thing has a ton of problems with it. Kicking in when it shouldn't, not kicking in when it should. It, it seems to be more of a headache than it's worth from the sounds of it. Yeah, ATI does the same thing. Um, so what's ATI's called? I, I'm sure it's probably not called Optimus. It's called PowerPlay. PowerPlay. Yeah. Well, now I know what I'll be looking at, looking for tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's PowerPlay. It dynamically changes between discrete and integrated depending whether or not you're plugged in or not, or if you need the extra horsepower. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. I hadn't heard of that. Anyway, might as well go ahead and go on to the next story. Yeah. Speaking of outdated things, <laughs> um, phone calls are apparently just for old people because they're not efficient enough for people our age. This is something uh, I definitely agree with. Yeah, it's easier to manage and understand state um, of all this information that we have, it's easier to, to put it in the box and deal with, deal with it when it's convenient. And so phone calls are might be convenient for the caller, but not for the callee. Uh, not all the time, anyway, unless it's predefined, like you set up a meeting, a conference call, uh, to call someone at a certain time. Uh, or else uh, it could be very inconvenient, especially when um, we're in a society in which you could be at work and you could also even be at home watching television and and while you're watching television you're surfing the web and while you're surfing the web and watching television you're listening to music so you're doing you're juggling a lot of things in your personal life and in your professional life when you're at work you're probably juggling a few things too um, and so it, it just makes more sense to to actually revert a little bit and move to text being primary instead of voice and video yeah it's I've never been a phone person. I just found it too inconvenient. It's like, I don't want to have to worry about, am I interrupting this person? What could they be doing? I've always been more of an instant messenger person where I can see their status, see if they're busy, see if they're available, or at least do something like email or text messaging or whatever where they don't necessarily have to get back to me right away, but it's something that that I know that I'll they'll look at that I'll get a response for but just something where I don't have to worry about if I'm inconveniencing the other person yeah but this does also um, it's not listed in the article but also induces new overloads because instead of checking voicemails for missed voicemails which they said what one fifth of the voicemails get uh, get listened to the other four fifths don't um, is is that we have multiple places to check for messaging. We have text messages, we have email, we have instant messaging, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. Um, so we have to uh, manage all those for miss messages. We don't have a universal inbox for that, which is which is kind of hard to manage, especially if you don't check one as frequently as frequently as you check the other. Uh- See, I kind of ha- I kind of do have that as far as I have a number of emails that are all set up to forward to one account. So like PCNerd37 at GlobalGeekNews.com, Webmaster at GlobalGeekNews.com, and so so on and so forth. I'll forward everything to GlobalGeekNews at Gmail.com. Well, then I have that funnel to my phone as well as other accounts that I have, other email accounts funneled to my phone. So that way I always get everything on my phone the instant it comes in. Plus I get all my voicemails, I get all my text messages, my Google Voice, if I send somebody to voicemail, it'll come through and send me an email for that. Plus it'll give me a whole bunch of text messages with a transcript of what somebody's left in the voicemail. So you can certainly set it up to get it all in one place, but I've. it seems like... You may be able to get everything in one place, but deleting everything in all the different places that it is tends to be a bit of a hassle because a lot of times I'll have to go into each Gmail account and delete all the emails if for some reason my phone doesn't sync properly or have to go into the Google Voice stuff and delete stuff and whatever. That tends to be a little bit of a hassle sometimes, but I think it can be done with the 
decent amount of work. It's just more yeah. than most people have the knowledge to do. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, this is one of the what uh, I used to listen to gadgets, and they would say this is a first world problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is obviously something that, um, being in our um, our society, that we would have to deal with, and not many other cultures. But with more technology comes more problems, which means there's more opportunity to solve them, which is good for people like me who uh, like to fix problems. Uh, but uh, may- maybe we'll have new phones that will. Uh, work as an like an instant messaging client where you can do a wade mode or um, will be tapped into your calendar so it can automatically put you in a way uh, so when someone calls uh, instead of a ring back uh, they get a status back saying this person's in a meeting and they'll be free in 30 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that maybe we can get something like that done I I'm not positive, but I'm thinking there's some kind of functionality like that in Windows Phone 7, but I'm not 100% sure. It's got some really cool stuff going on with the calendar, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm thinking there is some of that functionality in in the Windows Phone 7. Now, that would be nice. Yeah, that's one of the devices I'm looking forward to, although... It looks like probably tomorrow I'm probably going to finally go and get rid of my BlackBerry for an Android device, which will be the Motorola i1. Hoping I'll like it, but from what I hear, the battery life on it really sucks. Yeah. But it's either that or another BlackBerry. And as Torch? Much, as much as I enjoy having a physical keyboard, because I absolutely love the tactile feedback and be able to being able to use muscle memory and stuff for typing and everything, I don't think I could deal with a slow BlackBerry ever again. Yeah, that's at least one not, thing I heard. Of. At least not for another two-year stint. Yeah, yeah, you're probably good with the Android. Um, at least you can put some hacked ROMs on there, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with the i1, supposedly the phone has been rooted. But apparently the bootloader hasn't been hacked yet, so I can't put on any other ROMs or upgrade to, like, Froyo or anything like that. I'd be stuck with just plain Android 1.5, at least until somebody hacks the bootloader. Yeah. Which, if you, that's probably give it a month or so. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they're still working on it. Yeah, the hack to root it is very similar to the Droid X hack, so I assume the bootloader is going to be very similar to that as well, which I would assume there's going to be a lot more people looking to hack the bootloader on the Droid X than there is going to be the i1, because this is a IDIN two-way Nextel boost mobile thing, which there's going to be very few customers for. So, assuming it gets done for the Droid X, it shouldn't be too hard to point to port the export the exploit over to the i1, and then hopefully I'd be able to get something. But as of right now, I'm still waiting on the hacking community. Right. So you're saying that the phone is pretty secure, then, right? Um, not necessarily. It's possible, but I never believe in true security. Okay, so it's not too secure so that a company can spy on you like Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's heard all the stories last week about Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates saying that, nope, no, there's going to be no more Blackberries here because we can't break RIMS encryption to be able to listen in to everybody's conversation or see what kind of data they're sending back and forth or whatever. Well, apparently over the weekend, Saudi Arabia ended up getting three local test servers. So hopefully they can um, maybe see what you're communicating on your BlackBerry or whatever so that Blackberries will continue to work in Saudi Arabia. Although I can't say I have any desire to go to Saudi Arabia. Right, but I heard that Saudi Arabia... Sorry, Saudi Arabia is one of their largest markets... Um, for their devices, so um, so they're ba- basically uh, 
bowing down to the the pressures of the government and going to allow them, uh, at least in some way, to have access to information that flows through their network. Um, but I think they would, even though that their most of their u- user base and customer base is located there, I think it would have been better if they went against the government and said no, um, because. Uh, they were in the news almost every other day because of this, and um, this settlement is that only just going to quiet the, the, the debate over this issue, which I think is one of the good PR that they need, um, especially for the, them losing a lot of market share to Android and to iPhone, and then soon to Windows Seven. Yeah, I didn't realize just how much how um, big a presence that Rim had in. Saudi Arabia and the UAE and everything, but it it doesn't surprise me too much. But I'm kind of surprised that they're going to say, "Oh, hey, no, no more of this," just because we can't spy on it. Especially if they're if they have that big a presence in there, and supposedly even Hillary Clinton got involved last week, where she was supposed to be telling Saudi Arabia, "Knock it off. I want to be able to." come to Saudi Arabia and have my Blackberry work. Yeah. That's out of place for her, but yeah. Um, I think the especially with their user base, their users would uproar and almost riot, I would guess. Or I shouldn't say riot, but they would definitely make their voices heard about them not being able to use their Blackberries if, if they're actually kicked out of the country. So I think um, from a PR side, it, it's a bad idea for them to pull out. I mean, it would have been a bad, bad idea for them to 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 bow to the pressure. Um, but that's just my opinion. I'm kind of curious to know just how much of a concession they made to these countries as far as now that the servers are local there, does that mean that they also gave them the keys to the encryption or whatever so that they can spy on conversations? Or is that Probably. just a case of... Hey, the servers are here. If you want to hack it, go ahead, but we're not going to tell you how. No, nah, I think it's the former rather than the latter. Uh, I think they probably got the keys to the kingdom. Because it uh, doesn't matter if it was in Saudi Arabia or not, they could hack it over the internet. So physical location, I think, does not really matter. I, I think it has to be that they have been granted some privileged access to the information. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how this plays out. It'll be interesting to watch. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll hear anything ever about this again. I think this is just going to go away. I think a lot of the talk is just going to die down over the next 24 hours. And who knows? Everybody seems to be always concerned about privacy and stuff. And If the government's listening in on their on their transmissions, maybe it won't go away. Who knows? But speaking of security issues, apparently IPv6 is a security nightmare, according to a DEF CON speaker. Yeah, this is uh, the new protocol that's replacing IPv4 uh, because we're running out of IPv4 addresses. IPv6 is a 256-bit, and what researchers are saying is that it's so new... In some cases, we don't know what we don't know, and in other cases, we definitely know that what we do have is not compatible with it. Um, so a lot of gates are going to have... It's this. It's like when, um, when you're doing networking, uh, and you're just trying to transfer a file from one computer to the other, and then you get failures because all your security's on, you, tr- you turn one little thing off, and then you still can't do it. You try something else, you still can't do the transfer, and so you just tur- turn off security... And build it back up, so you can just do, so you can get it to at least be functional. That's what they're afraid of. Of that, what people are going to do with their networks, um, they're going to run into so many problems trying to uh, cram it into their existing infrastructure that they'll disable all their safeguards just so that they continue to they can continue to do business. Yeah, this is one of the things I've kind of been afraid of, and they're waiting till the eleventh hour to really moved to IPv6, and now they've got all this stuff where it doesn't support IPv6, or it doesn't support it like it should, and there's 
and it's going to end up causing all kinds of headaches because people are going to screw with security settings they're, and they're going to have all kinds of nightmares getting their different things to work correctly, different communication protocols and whatever because they weren't paying attention and didn't and weren't making sure that they were future proof. Right. And in a in this depressed economy, it's going to be hard to get the expertise and even the equipment ordered to get them installed in time uh, for for all this to go smoothly. So this is going to be on an uh, as needed basis. For instance, this past week, um, I'm on Posturus, and the Posturus blog went down several times, which was very annoying. Um, same thing with Twitter. Twitter went down a few times. And whenever a service like that goes down, they always uh, write a little post saying, oh, we went down because we ran out of capacity. What we've done is we found that there was a link, a weak link in XY server or service, and now we've uh, made it more robust so this doesn't happen again. So they wait for things to break, and then they fix it instead of finding the weak port points uh, and then try to implement a fix before it breaks. So I think that's what we're going to see with this. Yeah, I heard Posters had some security issues where they got attacked and taken down last week or something like that. Yeah, some DOS attacks, yeah. Yeah, well, apparently that's one of the kind of things that they're having to worry about with this IPv6, that there's some issues with, I, I guess, packets that can... Um, where a hacker could send packets to addresses that don't exist and those would respond back even though they don't exist and it would basically flood the network with a bunch of garbage data. I think they're calling yeah. it a ping-pong exploit. Yeah, it sounds like what they're saying is they would be able to take one valid address and change a couple of digits in there so that the, the address is in the same domain or, or subnet as the network manager. Um, but since there are so many addresses, you can flood it with so many invalid addresses because the the amount of variance that is allowed um, that you would get responses about how um, how that server or that device doesn't exist and be able to propagate that throughout the network yeah there's ipv6 has a lot of issues with it that still need to be worked out one of the things that they also mentioned in the article was that with ipv4 you didn't have to worry so much about being about anonymously sending data to and from wherever you are because mm -hmm. all it would essentially give is an IP address in the packet. Well, I guess with the IPv6, not only do you does the that include an IP address, but it also includes the MAC address of your machine. So if you're doing anything like transferring files illegally, now it's going to be a whole lot easier to prove whether or not it was you that was actually doing the illegal copyright infringing transfers because they can actually take take it and peg the address to a physical machine rather than just an IP address where at least then you could say, oh, it could have been my neighbor using my Wi-Fi. Now you can't do that anymore. Although supposedly right. Windows has something in it where it scrambles that, but even that can break some end-to-end -end, um, communications of some kind. Yes, and also with IPv6, um, there's no NAT, network address translation, so um, there's not uh, an IP address to a router, it's going to be IP address to a computer attached to the router. So you can't say that someone else was on my Wi-Fi because their address will be transparent, it would not be hi uh, hidden behind a router. Yeah, it's going to make for a whole bunch of issues. That's kind of that's one of the many reasons why I would prefer to stay on IPv4 myself. So right. I, I have no desire to move to IPv6 anytime soon, but somebody has to move to IPv6 before we run out of addresses next year and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, they need to make it easy too. I mean, if it's not easy, people won't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it should be... Uh, an opt-out kind of situation where all the ISPs have to 
give their customers, say, here's an IPv6 address. If you don't want it and would prefer to stick with IPv4, you can opt out of it. And then most people wouldn't know the difference, wouldn't care. They would just go with the IPv6 address. Then at least there would be enough addresses for IPv4 for those of us who wanted it, so that way we could stay on IPv4. Uh, like analog cable. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Yes, but you wouldn't have it in coffee shops, though. <laughs> no, at least not in L.A. Apparently, some of the coffee shops in L.A. are finding that people are taking their laptops in there with them to work, and they're just buying one cup of coffee cup of coffee and then sipping on it all day is to where it's hurting their bottom line. So now there's starting to be coffee shops that are saying, okay, we're not going to have Wi-Fi, period. So that way people who want to come in and actually get work done without distractions can do it. And apparently there's just getting to be a lot of people that are getting frustrated with people on the Wi-Fi because they're sitting in there taking up space as to where they have nowhere to sit. So mm-hmm. apparently there's now a niche market for coffee shops without Wi-Fi. Which is uh, weird and fine, I guess, for me. Um, I guess if there's a need, uh, the market will fill it. Um, but it, they said that people come in and have one cup, of co- one cup of coffee and sit there all day on the Wi-Fi. If they didn't have Wi-Fi, then that person wouldn't even come in to buy that cup of coffee. So to me, it makes sense. And for people who are saying, well, I don't have to worry about getting distracted because uh, there's no connectivity here. No one's forcing you to connect when you go to a place just because there is connectivity. It's like when people go on vacation and they said, oh, thank God, I I didn't even bring my cell phone. Mm -hmm. You don't have to turn it on. (laughs) You don't have to answer your calls, or you don't have to check email. I mean, it sounds like a, a problem of self-control rather than connectivity. But anyway, um, yeah, if, if people want to have have their L.A. coffee shop saying, I'm sorry, we don't have Wi-Fi, then fine, let them be that. Um, but ultimately, people would like the choice of to get online or not. And the people who don't... Um, uh, they can go to these coffee shops, but I think they're going to be the minority instead of the majority. Yeah, it, this reminds me a lot of the argument that there was around here when they instituted the smoking ban for restaurants and casinos and stuff. A lot of businesses were worried, especially bars, were saying, oh no, a lot of our customers are smokers, but there were still a lot of bars that said, hey, we welcome this because, one, it's healthier not to have all this smoke in our establishment, but at the same time, this would this is a great opportunity for them to make it maybe more focused towards people who can't be around smoke or maybe make it more of a family environment so it's more friendly for bringing in kids and you don't have to worry about them being exposed to secondhand smoke and whatever. I think it's just a case of there's always going to be some customers for it one way or the other, and you just kind of have to figure out which one's the bigger audience that you want to cater to. Right. And and just like anything else, you can always cater to the niches. It doesn't have to be the biggest audience. It could be the biggest audience for your location um, and try to grab as many as you can. Um, So more power to them. Uh, Less power taken, I guess, because less computers, but uh, good for them. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how well this plays out and if this is going to be one of those things that kind of spreads across the country. As somebody who has hard enough time finding open Wi-Fi, I sure hope not. Yeah, I sure hope not, too. Um, We we need to move into the land of ubiquitous Internet, and I think this is a scary trend saying that they're uh, they're locking out access in certain locations. Um, I would like for devices like um, the Kindle Wi-Fi only to work almost everywhere instead of requiring a 3G connection. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I think Wi-Fi is something that is a universal enabler, and the more places that have it, the better. Yeah, it used to be a case around here where when people started adopting Wi-Fi, everybody would leave their Wi-Fi right open, so mm-hmm. wide open, so you could get on Wi-Fi anywhere. 
now it's like 90% of the Wi-Fi around here has some form of encryption on it. So it's like you can't get on the Wi-Fi anywhere. I mean, yeah, I realized that it was theft of services and whatever, but if you needed to get on to get an email or check the map to find directions to somewhere, it was always kind of available to you. But anymore, everybody's kind of locked it down, or even a lot of businesses would have some kind of a system where you have to pay for a couple hours' use of the Wi-Fi or whatever, kind of like what Starbucks used to have before they went completely free. Right. And, and, yeah. And that's always been my big thing is that's kind of why one of my favorite hobbies is war driving is just to go around and kind of map out the hot spots and just have an idea of where there's open Wi-Fi should I ever need it. In most cases I won't, but just on the off chance that maybe someday I'll need it, at least I have an idea of where I can find it. Right, yeah. And Google was doing that for a while, I guess, but they got in trouble for that. But um, one, Like I was stating that uh, it's nice to have ubiquitous internet um, for uh, devices like the Kindle. Um, devices like education pads, maybe from LeapFrog, uh, might be popular in the next five years, according to Bill Gates. Yeah, this was something that didn't shock me too much, but it was, it's kind of nice to see it coming from Bill Gates. Apparently, as far as he's concerned, in five years from now, at least for higher education, not so much for like K through 12, but for higher education, having a physical school that you attend won't be very important anymore. And this is something, as and probably you too, uh, since you are going to school online, and for me, which I'm not, um, really resonates because the variety of learning styles out there, uh, it does not lend itself to a finite brick-and-mortar location, which you have so many teachers that can teach uh, a specific topic or subject. Um, I would love to be able to cut and paste from different experts from different universities for uh, for for seeing the leader in the country uh, talk to them about physics and the leader of the country and uh, uh, English have going to their session uh, and being able to to get some of some of that uh, knowledge and and have access to that amount of passion because that's what I'm drawn to is the passion uh, of the professors and how they translate to their students and being able to have you know one click access to any one of those at any given time I think that's very attractive yeah with me doing the online schooling the one thing that I've realized that you can't really that you have a very hard time telling is anybody's passion mm-hmm. it's like once in a while you can tell it from some of the students but you definitely can't tell it from the teachers at least in my case, it's a case of, hey, here's your assignment. If you absolutely need me, I'm here. Otherwise, you're kind of on your own. Work it out with your fellow students if you need to. You can't. There's never any real conversation with the teachers as a class or too much individually as to where you can really tell what their passion is. And I'm at the point where I think that, ed, especially higher education is pretty much worthless as it is. I, I'm if it wasn't for my family pushing me to be in school, I wouldn't be in school. I am pretty much very anti higher education at this point. Mm-hmm. I I think that Bill kinda has a good point in that a lot of this stuff can be done online. You can it's much easier to interact with people that are passionate if you know where to go. And I think one of the things that we're going to start to see is where degrees and stuff don't really matter as much anymore. It's going to be a case of what you've learned on your own. That's kind of the way I've always felt is I I tend to learn a whole lot better on my own than I ever have in a classroom format or what I've ever been taught from a classroom, whatever. So I I think that in the next coming years, I think there's just going to be a whole lot more people that kind of realize what I already know. Yeah, and if YouTube ever had a curation process in which they could vet 
uh, some education materials, I think that would be a great place. I mean, if you there are so many how-to videos um, on particular items of a subject. Like, for instance, if you're talking about philosophy, um, there are so many arguments on how to have a good debate about like what is moral and what is not moral. Um, that that is very supplemental. Good supplemental material for a course like that. Um, if if I think that is actually some of the beginnings of what he's saying, and I think that's just going to happen organically. Mm-hmm. Well, I know if I ever got into a, a position where I'm like hiring people or whatever, I would look at hobbyists long before I ever looked at people with degrees. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care that you had two hundred grand to spend on a gr- degree. I want to know that what you're applying for or what I'm hiring for is something that you're passionate about that you spend your spare time actually working in. Mm-hmm. That means far more to me than whether you were willing to spend two hundred grand in four years of your life going sitting in a classroom getting lectured at for six hours a day. Yeah, that's the worst thing to think um, when you uh, go through an education process is that you're done. And when you're when you're done learning, you're you're done growing and developing, and that's sad when people feel, yes, I've done all I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so many great resources for everything online, no matter what it is that you want to learn. I mean, I spend most of my time looking at like programming stuff and whatever, so I'm always going to sites like Code Project, and Microsoft has done a tremendous job of putting all kinds of resources out there for and letting their employees like write blog posts about how to do certain programming things or working with specific um, certain kinds of programming models or architectures or all kinds of stuff. I think that you can learn far more from those than you can in or far more from those in your spare time than you can sitting in a classroom for three months or whatever. Not, not to mention with that, there's no real necessary structure because one of the problems I've always had with school is you've always had to follow the specific structure and schedule of everything. You couldn't come to a, a topic that you are really interested in and want to learn more about it and go on your own little tangent. It's a case of you have to do this, this, and this in this particular order. There is no time for going off on your own little tangents. You have to do it the way we say. I would much rather go as to where, go until I find a point of something that I'm really interested in, then just go off on a tangent learning all I can about that. And then come back and go on to the next thing. Yeah. That, the, yeah some people, once again, that goes into learning style. Some people want to go at their own pace. Some people want to be led. Uh, and some people are visual learners, and some people just rather read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all just depends on the person, but those are just some of my thoughts when it comes to education. But we're running a little long, so <laughs> or we're about to run long, so I probably ought to get moving a little bit here. Next story, apparently, speaking of things that can learn, apparently there's now artificial life that is evolved to have basic memory and can form some strategy. Right. And not only that, is that they can get smarter and smarter through generations. So uh, incrementally, they can grow to the point of where they can refine these techniques and actually get smarter. Yeah, there's an interesting little video with this. For those that want to check it out in the show notes, uh, it's the second link on the slash dot uh, page that's linked to in the show notes. There's where they show an evolution of a self-organizing robot soccer team, where it goes from like a dumb bunch of little dots on the screen to after so many evolutions, they these dots actually kind of learn to play soccer all by themselves. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool thing. I'm kind of curious. It almost kind of worries me to an extent. It's like how f- smart are these things going to get, and how fast are they going to a- attain this intelligence? 
Yeah, and looking at the dots, this actually reminds me of a Outer Limits episode called The Sand Kings. It's on Hulu. If you do a search for Sand Kings uh, from The Outer Limits, you'll see what I'm talking about, of how the species uh, get smarter and smarter with each iteration. Um, and then, boom, Skynet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see... I, I really want to see the progress that this that these guys are making with these um, evolution algorithms and whatever, where these things are using some kind of a neural network to learn and grow and whatever. I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. <laughs> that play soccer. Yes. <laughs> and I'm kind of surprised that that was the game that they chose or how they chose to show that these things can have, can gain their own intelligence or whatever. But from well, well, there's a the, robot champ. I know there's a robot championship in which they have them play soccer, and I think there's also a sumo competition too. Uh, but that's one of the, one of the reasons is because they choose to have teamwork to make sure there's coordination uh, and do motion and eye tracking and that kind of stuff. So that's I think yearly there's a there's a soccer competition for robots. Hmm. Let's say I know there was always the. Oh, I can't think of the name of the competition where they race robots across Baja or whatever. They're just UAVs, automated, totally automated things across the desert or whatever. I know like MIT and stuff participates in it. I can't think of the name of it. But There was an X Prize for it. Um... Yeah, there was an X Prize for it. There seems to be about an X Prize for just about everything major in it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it was a DARPA challenge, is is what I think was was called. Yeah. Uh, anyway, since we are running really late here, um, apparently the feds are admitting to storing perv scanner pics. Yes, this is a lot different than the than the story of record. Um, they stated that uh, the devices were unable to store pictures, but. Uh, one courthouse in Florida was able to store 35,000 pictures. Um, yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead. You were just breaking up there. so. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and continue then. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because we, we dropped down to two bars there for a second. But apparently this is having to do with these same kind of um, see-through technologies that they're implementing in all the airports where they're right. able to see through your clothes and whatever. Well, supposedly they've always said, no, we're not storing your images, whatever. Well, apparently, at least with this courthouse, it is. And I know that they always said, no, they can't store images or whatever. Well, one of the things that they specified when they ordered these machines was that it could, that it had the ability to store images. I think it was just where that functionality was turned off by default, but that functionality is always built been built into them no matter what they say and this just proves it yeah there apparently was a test mode that allowed them to do that but i, I would think even um in common practice you would want it to store images especially if you had to prosecute someone because of uh what they're carrying through security you would want those images in the in the in the court case if you're saying hey um submit exhibit a to smuggle in the bomb or um, explosive material or whatever, or drugs or or or, um, or weapons through security. I mean, you would need some sort of evidence. Um, so I'm surprised that they don't store images, or it's theoretically, um, at least that's what they're they're trying to delete images and not keep them stored. Yeah, that's one of the things that always kind of boggled my mind. Why have these machines in the first place if you're not going to use the images for evidence in a trial? Assuming you do find something. But then again, I suppose with a lot of stuff like this, if they do find something, you just send them to Gitmo and never give them a trial. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, speaking Sad of yeah, speaking of recordings. Apparently, World War One recordings aren't going to enter the public domain until 2049. Yeah, it's in 
interesting. Uh, am I coming through clearly? Yes. Okay, it's interesting how this uh, came about. So there is a there is copyright reform, I believe, in 1909, um, and they explicitly did not include um, the recorded works, uh, audio recordings, in the copyright law, uh, just physical writings. Um, because of that gap, um, local states in the union and municipalities uh, came up with their own copyright protection laws. And because of that gap uh, and that filling the void by the states, um, they decided to uh, restrict the co- or to enforce copyright until um, 2049, uh, uh, and that's when it goes into the public domain. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that this has kind of been an oversight for this long. I mean, for all the times that we've changed the copyright laws, and what was it, just a couple of weeks ago, they amended the DMCA to include certain um, permissions for jailbreaking and stuff, yet we still can't get World War One videos put into the public record for another 39 years. Yeah. Um, they, they tried to overturn it in court, I believe, um, in 1972 after the reform uh, of copyright. But uh, apparently, no. They're saying that there's no overriding states' rights in this case. So uh, I, I, I don't know. So the only way, to, I guess, to... to to get a work around this is to find the originators of the works and see if they will record, re- release them from their copyright. And that's the only way to do it. Yeah, this is one screwed up thing. The whole copyright thing in this country is really screwed up anyway, but this is just one of the worst examples of it. Yeah, and, unfortunately. And finally... The U.S. military has been banned from viewing WikiLeaks. Yes. Um, so this is not just on of government hardware or government networks. Uh, in your own on your own private laptop, if you're an um, uh, under the employ of the U.S. government, um, you are not allowed to go to WikiLeaks because it feels that they feel anyway that it will undermine your I guess confidence and the structure. And the uh, the chain of command, um, and and make you a weaker soldier. Yeah, apparently they just don't want you submitting new documents to them. I guess. Mm. But I guess that that too. Yeah, in um, a bit of an update on the story that this was kind of on, I guess, and I guess this came from Wired's Danger Room blog. Apparently, a contractor. Uh, an army contractor emailed the danger room to let him know that WikiLeaks has been filtered out of all URLs. So it doesn't matter if it's WikiLeaks.com. It, it could be a CNN story about WikiLeaks where WikiLeaks just happens to be in the URL because anymore you always have the title of your post in the URL as it's good for SEO stuff or whatever. But if mm-hmm. WikiLeaks is in that URL, they can't view that page. Yeah, it's almost like the Great Wall of China, but here in the U.S. So the people who are defending our freedom uh, don't have the freedom or the right to go to, to uh, any website they want. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's basically turned into the Great Firewall of China, just about. Yeah, which is kind of sad. I mean, uh, this is something that should be open discussion and maybe there should be some sort of internal debate about what the documents are instead of trying to uh, restrict access to that type of information. And as this article points out, our, U- our uh, U.S. troops aren't able to see it or are restricted to see it, but uh, our enemies are uh, able to freely view this material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I just don't understand it's like okay why do you if you're this worried about it why did you ever have these documents to begin with if you don't want them to get leaked or if you're worried about it getting leaked you probably shouldn't put it down on paper in the first place well Just it, was, a thought. it was 
it was digitized, but uh, they should have definitely restricted the access to that material um, and uh, had uh, some very strict uh, restrictions on uh, who, who did have access and, and when they have access and be able to change the codes and passwords often enough that um, it'd be extremely hard um, to, 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 to gain access or, or have it in a system that's proprietary. Um, to the U.S. government. So even if you can get the documents out of there, they couldn't be read without um, the right software, um, which which is, um, you know, don't 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 allow an export function to the database of the, the of, of uh, documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is more of a case of the military's fault than even the person who leaked the documents. If they did a little bit better job with their own security, we wouldn't have had this problem now, would we? Yeah. Unfortunately, um, the the bloom is off the rose. Um, the 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 flaws are being exposed, um, which you know through the commercials, um, it seems like a very modern army, but um, they still suffer a lot of the same. Uh, fl- mm-hmm. Yep. Well, anyway, that would be all of our stories for this week. We are running a little bit long; it's about five minutes long, but that's all right. Um, don't forget, you can check out all of the stories at globalgeeknews.com. You can check out all the little details here and there that we didn't happen, that we didn't get a chance to talk about. And like I mentioned earlier, don't forget to donate to the show, whether it's via a $5 a month subscription, one-time donation, or just buying yourself a Global Geek News t-shirt or something or other. And don't forget, any donations over $100 will get you a free t-shirt. And... Don't forget to check out just globalgeeknews.com during the week, especially at the end of the week on Fridays for our Tips of the Week segment. And you can always find out what's going on with us as well as I post links about whatever's going on in the world of media, entertainment, and technology on twitter.com slash globalgeeknews. And you can also follow me. I am twitter.com slash pcnerd37. You can also follow Wesley, who is twitter.com slash wesley83 who's been sharing some pretty helpful links lately, especially about Quake Live today, which I was really surprised by. Yeah, I don't know what's gotten into me. Yeah, you're doing all kinds of great stuff. Keep it up. <laughs> I'll try. But Anyway, that's enough from us for this week. We do have our the fourth birthday of the show coming up at the end of the month, so if you happen to have any ideas for what you'd like to see for the special show, feel free to stick them in the comments or shoot me an email pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com We will be back next week and we will see you guys then. Later. Later.